welcome to Rocks Fall Everyone Dies Wine and Spirits Edition. My name is Tommy, and today I am interviewing uh, Lena, aka Sanjana, for a special Tea Time with Banked. So, uh, Lena, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. I just want to j- jump right into it. Uh, first question: Is this the first game you've like ever played before? Uh, this is not, but I am relatively new to D and D. Uh, all through college, I had friends that played, but <laughs> I was always like, I called myself the cat. I was always just hanging out, you know, occasionally making a noise and like scarfing down some of their snacks. But I never really got into it because I was too shy. And recently, within the past two years, I actually said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to join. And I found a group and it was... Love after 20 years, basically. You know, I had waited 20 years. Uh, This is actually probably about my 10th campaign, only because the group that I uh, started playing with really plays a lot of D&D, and I got sucked in. You know, they started laughing. I had one one set of dice, and then I bought another. Then I bought another, and they were like, you're getting into it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, man, the addiction grows. The addiction grows. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I've played a couple of one-shots and a couple of longer campaigns. Uh, This is my first podcast, though. Oh, cool. Yeah, Uh, definitely mine, too. So you you said you quasi-played a whole bunch of years ago. Do you remember what edition that was? I recently did some sleuthing, and it turns out it was 3.5. Does that make sense? Oh, man. Yeah, that's like, that's the most brutal one. So I hear, of course. Yeah, none of it made sense. Like, you know, I remember I was sitting, I, I never actually got close enough to read any of the books, but I saw the character sheets and it just seemed like a lot of paperwork was involved. But I would hear the craziest things happening. I'm like, what just happened to everybody? What just happened to everybody? But yeah, it seemed really brutal. Yeah, there's a lot of contrary arguing that goes around. Just like, oh, I should have been able to listen to see if there were skeletons right next door, even if they're on. Yeah, I totally understand (laughs) all of that. Kind of like a follow up to what you were saying before of the different campaigns that you've played within you said the last 10 years oh no no 10 campaigns the last two years oh, sorry, i'm sorry Ten, wow that's a lot <laughs> oh yeah. wow <laughs> yeah it, it makes sense why my brain autocorrected for me <laughs> yeah i'm not wow that's incredible 10 campaigns in the last two years uh yeah currently i am playing three other games and then two other uh role-playing games so it sounds like there's a lot are they like on and off are there ones that are more frequent than others uh they're all weekly uh the one group where i said i have three it's because we have three uh rotating dms so we play a campaign oh. every three weeks oh wow yeah it's super that's fun kind of sounds cool it is <laughs> you have to juggle all those characters though because <laughs> they're very different campaigns uh, sure are they all fifth edition uh answer to that is yes and because i'm so new i've never played anything else i was listening for another edition but i've never actually played anything else so even sometimes now when we're doing something and someone will say oh those aren't the the 5e rules i don't know any other set (laughs) sure yeah no i totally understand with all of the different other dms that you've had how does scott's dming style different from those other games that you've played within the last two years Fun. I actually play with Scott as a player uh, with him in two of those three rotating games. And he's actually the DM for the third. 
uh, this is the second, so this would make the podcast the second game, uh, the se- second campaign that I've actually played with Scott. Again, I'm so new to this. Every time I get a new DM, it's a new experience. I've had more, I've had DMs that are just read from the book and that gives you a different experience. And then you have someone like Scott who gives you a visceral feel for it. You know, his, his descriptions will go above and beyond, you know, just saying, okay, you're going you're walking down a road. He's going to give you the actual feel of it. You know, you get an emotional connection to the words. And I think that's part of it is due to his theatrical background. So when you have a DM that is that invested in the, the, the quality and the quantity of description, it really does put you in a mindset and it's easier to predict what your character is going to do. For me, you know, I can't just look at a character sheet and look at the, the stats and create something from that. I need a mood. I, I need to know what my character's feeling, smelling, seeing, hearing, you know, all of my senses are engaged when someone is going to be that invested in the storytelling. And that's one thing I've noticed from Scott is he has a way to pull you in as a player so that you're no longer the player. You are the character. And I think you get quality role-playing out of that it's fun it's intense you know I've actually had like strong reactions to something that he has described which you know gives me like you know the theatrical tingle like yes I was actually in the moment and then my character can react and what I found is I had I had a veteran uh, player say to to this to me um a few months back you know, don't look at your stat sheet and decide what you're going to do. Decide what your character would do in the moment and then find something in your stat sheet that will allow you to do that. And That's some good advice. I've tried to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like, oh, that's cool. But at the same time, if you're not as in- invested in the, the, the game, whether the DM style doesn't fit your playing style or, you know, it's a one shot and you just haven't gotten there yet with the character. But... I can say, ooh, you know what? I know Sanjana would do this. And then I look at the statue and go, that works. That makes sense. And it allows for more spontaneity rather than I'm just sitting there saying, let me think of something to do. Uh, and also, you know, I've been given the gift of having so many, ex- uh, so exposed to so many DMs, but also I'm growing as a player. You know, the very first time I sat down, Scott actually played in my very first campaign. He joined the group after I did, but here he was. He, I think he joined a few weeks after I did, and he was all set, had a character, and I'm still going, what, which, which die do I use when it's an attack? And everyone was very, very patient, and they were like, okay, that one, you're going to use that one, and explaining a lot of things. You know, until you get beyond the mechanics of it, you're not going to really dive into a character. So now, you know, <laughs> it's two years later, and nine campaigns later, and I can actually enjoy Scott's way of telling a story because I'm more comfortable. I, you know, I can, I, I still look at the sheet and I still need to ask things and look things up, but I have a lot more fun because I know who my character is. So I'm no longer just the player. I am the character. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the, the cheap facade of D&D are a whole bunch of nerds yelling at each other <laughs> for, you know, how something should work and how it doesn't work and the homebrew rules and that's not in the book. But, you know, it's, it's really funny because if you take a closer look, 
the community is so supportive of each other, especially the new people that come in. I, I was pretty new recently myself, and it's it really is interesting how caring and supportive other players are to new people yeah. who want to share in that experience. So I'm glad that you had a, a healthy introduction into the world of high fantasy. <laughs> it, it really was. I mean, and it, it sounds so mushy, but I've made some of my best friends from that experience. You know, I, I told you I had 20 years of me really wanting to. I had a roommate who ran a campaign at our house. And I still was too shy. And these are people I went to college with, but I didn't know them in that context. And I think part of it was, you know, if you, I was a pretty capable child, shall we say, academically. Let's just leave it at that. And I was, (laughs) (laughs) it was difficult for me to struggle with things that I didn't know right away and that I didn't get right away. And it was very difficult for me to ask for help. So I decided to take the leap to get into D&D because I knew it would put me in a vulnerable position that I would have to ask people for help. And it took me 20 years to get up enough courage to do it. But I'm glad I did because then I can play on those insecurities within a character. So I'm not saying it's therapy, but I am saying that it has helped me grow for sure. Yeah, it very much is cathartic. I totally agree with you on that. And it's it's funny because it's like there's so many things I don't know and then I think D&D, yeah, it attracts the nerds and the geeks and, you know, awesome. It also attracts people that are very shy in real life. And it's funny because some of these best friends that I've made, I've gotten to know them very well. And they're the most introverted types. But remember, I met them across a table at a D&D campaign. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, when you're not the dragon, what is this? And, you know, people have layers, you know, and it's fun to get to see somebody who would normally, you know, say, okay, they're shy, they're an introvert, they don't talk, and then see them shine for those four hours that we're playing D&D and they're they're, they're a paladin, a a punchy monk, you know, and and they get to have live out those fantasies. And it's very cool. I mean, it's 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 a gift. It really is. Yeah. Stepping into another personality, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. We scraped the surface of this, but I, I, I kind of want to plunge deeper into, like, what was your thought process in making your character? Uh, like, not just stat-wise, um, but, like, like theme-wise. But, like, also, like, w- what grounds did you make your character on? Uh, for, well, when Scott had described the general outline of what the campaign was going to be, I said I wanted to play someone who had definite ambiguity as far as where the line for moral and amoral behavior was balanced because I didn't want to have someone that was all good or all bad. Again, going back to I'm now on my 10th campaign, I want to not play characters that are just like, you know, one trick ponies. I wanted something with depth. I also wanted to play a little bit of a, of a baddie, but you know, again, you can go to the, so far to the other extreme. So I thought about what kind of backstory it would be. And Sanjana is not necessarily a bad person, but also definitely not necessarily a good person, but is still a moral person. And I wanted to explore that because you can be <laughs> kind of bad and still be moral. And I gave her this backstory where, you know, she had a scra- scrape for everything that she had. She was living off the streets and 
it kind of grew into what kind of character I wanted. I didn't automatically decide that she was going to be a rogue, but I knew that she was living off the streets and that she was making her money fooling people. And then I realized she was a charlatan. Sure. It came to me afterwards. And I wanted to play somebody who was high energy and a lot of, you know, one-liners and, you know, just the, the, the witty banter going back and forth just from having that high energy. Because I don't think, as a person, I am ready to play a character that's not high energy. Because I, Lena, myself, am a high energy person. But I'm getting to pour it into other things, you know. She's, uh, <laughs> she's got a lot of um, tricks up her sleeve, shall we say. Obviously, because she was living off the streets. You know, that's, that's not something that I experienced as, a, as a, a child, thank goodness. But some of the people that I've come in contact with in all of my years, youngin, some of the wittiest people I've known have had really rough upbringings. And, you know, it's horrible that they had to go through that. But when you meet them as an adult, you say, you know, I see where the scars may be, but I also see where it grew your wings. So I wanted to show a character that had some scars and some wings. If that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. So I, I picked the tiefling. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you wanted to play something that's very much unlike you, but still a snapshot into people you've met through your life or things that you've seen. What, what are What are, like, the similarities or differences between... Sanjana character and you, Lena. Hmm. Ooh. Well, her New York accent is real. I am from New York. So that's that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> I ha- she <laughs> similarity and a difference. She says stuff that I think. I just don't say it. But, you know, <laughs> if people think Sanjana's witty, I guess you would think I'm witty on the inside. I just don't say the things that she says. But a lot of times where, you know, she's having an exchange with someone and like something smart or some weird but slightly accurate description of the person is in her head and she just says it. It's in my head, too. I just keep it on the inside. A lot of her outside talking is my inside thoughts. Um, <laughs> so it just I kind of turn off the filter there. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little disconcerting. <laughs> but at the same time, she never says anything mean. And that's always been my, um, my policy. Uh, I always, a, fa- a famous quote that people who went to high school with me would be able to say, you know, I say, oh, I'm not talking, about, I'm not, I wouldn't say anything behind your back that I wouldn't say to your face. And on the surface, it seems like something really nice, but it also means if I think you're a jerk, I'm going to tell you that. Sure. I just would never say something bad about someone and then so that it would never get back to me. You said this, it's either going to be a yes or a no, and I'm going to be completely honest. If you say, I, I called you a name and I didn't, I'm going to be like, well, no, because I would never call that to your face. So that's not going to happen. That's not the way I work. Yeah. Which again, I don't know if that's a great policy to go forward, but it's just always that been what I, you know I I'm an open book you know where you stand with me I don't believe in mysteries and I see that in Sanjana that she's just gonna tell it like it is she's in it for the money she vaguely likes these people but she's not you know too tied to them but again this is not something that she's hiding this is not up her sleeve her deception comes in the form of when she sees a mark she sees these people as her friend base 
the thing is, the way she treats her friends might not necessarily be the way everyone else treats their friends. So I do bring that aspect of my personality and that, you know, she's not hiding anything. You know, that's there's nothing up her sleeves until there's something up her sleeve. Interesting. But, you know, she'll let you know that she's running the game. But she's not running a game on these people. She's completely open and honest. She's in it for the money. They happen to be around and they're serving a purpose, so she'll keep them around. But, you know, her loyalty is to her pocket because that's what she grew up knowing. Sure. Was not knowing where her next meal was going to come from. Uh, You know, I did not have that. So, you know, I'm not that scrappy. I wish I was, though. There have been situations in my adult life where I, I wish that I had some of that get up and go. That craftiness, so to speak. Yeah. The, the conniving nature. All of that. And just to be able to just pick yourself up from nothing. You know, you hear all these stories about people in like, you know, right after the Depression era hit. And you hear these stories about how they're big companies now. 90 years later, but you hear that the person who started it, you know, was eating leather off the streets during the Great Depression and he found one penny and he started with a brick. And then suddenly, you know, it's like some big box store now, 90 years later, and they can tell the story. You know, I don't have that kind of like deep uh, knuckles bleeding resourcefulness that just comes from having adversity but i admire it you know i like old stuff i really do my favorite era ever would have to be the gilded age i i just i love it i love it i love it i swear i died on the titanic if if like reincarnation (laughs) is real that is like because i've always had a fear of water and rooms filling up with water and i hate what the ocean looks like at night i cannot stand a blood like like the scariest thing to me ever so i'm wondering if i died on the titanic i'm obsessed with everything titanic but i digress just to say i like old stuff and part of it is i like the way people were back then we're ignoring some of the social things that could have been better for many groups of people however (laughs) having said that i think that there was something to be said for people who just wanted to do something and did it. You know, wow, we've got cars. I yeah. mean, like, you know, now they make a new car and it's really not that exciting. But back then, that was pretty cool thinking out of the box. <laughs> wow. We don't give them enough credit. We Have we done anything that's that cool? I don't think so. All of our things are based off of that. You know, we got a car and they're like, oh, by the way, we can fly. So it's kind of an extrapolation that we could fly into the sky and then maybe also to the moon. Not to say anything about people who design rockets, but I'm saying you just really were building off of the plane, weren't you? I can go higher. I can go higher, higher, you know, like, yeah, but the first person who decided to do a car, that's neat. <laughs> that's just cool. <laughs> so it's funny because there there are two things that are leading me to a question I want to ask Scott, but I think I want to ask you first. Ooh. The first one was because of your thing about the underwater and the golden age and whatnot. And the second reason is because of, you know, you're joking around with the dissolution of, of the American dream. <laughs> So, the question that I was going to ask Scott was, this game is quite exciting and has a specific tone. If the Rocks Fall Everyone Dies crew ever does a one-shot, what thematic direction do you, would you like it to bring? <laughs> what thematic direction would you like to bring it? 
fun and quirky, hardcore mode, epic fantasy, urban magic. Would you DM it, or do you want one of your players to DM it? Uh, who do you think of the players would DM what type of one-shot? And I personally think you should DM a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu one-shot. Ooh, really? Yeah. Why is that? Like a 1920s golden age on the Titanic uh, fighting Deep One monsters. Oh, only if they're speakeasies. <laughs> or or we could do speakeasy. You know, it's funny because uh, I hosted a, a Halloween Cthulhu one-shot myself during, and it was set during the 1933 Chicago World's, <gasps> World's Fair. Oh, uh, and I, wow. It was it was basically a history project on my part. And it was very, it was so much fun. And I got to research a lot of really old stuff. Uh, and, and in fact, if you want, after the interview is over, I'll actually send you a map that I have of the World's Fair in Chicago. Oh, whoa. Oh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. So I was wondering if you were to do a one-shot, would you want to do a Cthulhu-style one? Mm, sure, it would be my first one. Oh, have you ever DM'd before? Nope. Yeah, all of those 10 ones, no. But, you know, I've got it in me. I'm, I taught theater for, for many years. I am a thespian. And I've been thinking about it. Well, actually, I take that back. I've been thinking about thinking about thinking about it, if that okay. makes sense. Well, I, I because I need to learn more. Sure. I do think that you should start with a one-shot. Okay. I think that that would be the easiest way to, like, dip your foot into, like, commanding... Uh, an audience, so to speak. Yeah. And I do think that you have enough appreciation of theatrics to do it successfully. Cool, thank you. I really do. <laughs> I really do believe that. Oh, that would be so fun. So, uh, back onto the original questions. Would you, or rather, could you play your character, Sanjana, the same way if she was a different class other than Rogue? How important are the stats of, like, sneak attack, and now that you're undead, your hag stuff, to your playing experience? Hmm. Well, you know what? I, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking off the cuff here. The thing is, because I did build her the way I did, where I, I, it revealed itself to me that she was a charlatan, her stats weren't as important to me because I'd already built the character. Sure. So I think I would be able to play her very similarly, I think that her alignment might naturally just um, shift. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, her alignment is basically chaotic good. Chaotic, yeah, it's chaotic good. Yeah, like very chaotic. But you were talking before about her high sense of morality. I mean, I could see her being a paladin, actually. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if she would even be mischievous. Maybe just like an urban paladin. Yeah. That, yeah, that's true. Very, very urban paladin. I'm trying to think of other classes. It'd be interesting for you to be a monk. <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting because I was going to ask you, you know, what, what what is the first class that comes to mind other than rogue? I was going to suggest bard mm. because of the whole charlatan aspect. But it's hilarious that you went to paladin first. And I think that says a lot about where you take Sanjana versus where I would take Sanjana. That's hilarious. I think she, well, we don't know about now, but she had sort of a good heart. You know, it's part of nature versus nurture. And I think a lot of it had to do with good nature and hard nurture. Yeah, you know, she actually wasn't nurtured. But I also think that 
given a code, she would follow it. So I think that's why a paladin would work for her because there's a code there. She might not vary from it, you know, very far, but at the same time, she does have a self-serving nature. Sure. But would would that be suppressed a little bit as a paladin? I don't know because her code now is the code of the street. Make a buck. Yeah. You know, get in and out. Yeah. But I wonder what her, her per, how her personality would have developed had she had a little bit more nurture. I think that she also could go rogue. Or rogue. She's a rogue idiot. I think she could also go <laughs> ranger. That's what I was the other thing I was thinking. And be like a urban ranger. You know what I mean? Be like in <laughs> the streets, being able to track where people are going and whatnot. I mean, it's homebrew. It doesn't exist, but... Yeah, the ranger was the other thing I was thinking. Yeah, I could see ranger. There are not there are not a whole lot other things I could say. Oh, that really like stand out. I mean, she yeah. is a tiefling, so okay. So, and, and <laughs> as a flip question, what do you think is what do you think would be the hardest class to play Sanjana as? Hmm. Because I think I know with banked, but I'm curious on what you think. Huh. Of Sanjana, that is. I think I don't know. I think she's very, very diverse. I think because you made her from like a like a thematic grounds, it, she could turn to anything. Yeah, like I, I mean, like I said, there'd be slight differences, but nothing that would change her personality fundamentally. I, I like thinking about it. I think you know because all of the classes can be yeah. a little brash. They can all be a chaotic little, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. chaotic good. Um, <laughs> and she still gets to kick butt. No matter what, you know, even as, as a bard, she might just be like, you know, throwing down uh, words, <laughs> but she's yeah. still, you know, still just uh, barreling through. You know, I think of her kind of as an arrow, just shot straight and just goes for it. And, you know, the, that end is pointy. So if you're on that wrong end of it, oh, well. <laughs> but the arrow, of you're not going to blame. You do not blame the arrow. So I think her circumstances is the bow and she is the arrow. I love the extended metaphor. <laughs> Because I definitely know for Banked, the hardest class to put to play him as would be Monk, because he is he he may be lawful, mm. but he has absolutely no work ethic, and he cannot he cannot <laughs> devote himself to an ideal. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like he's so right. like with the wind. You know what I mean? No altruism. Oh yeah. Well, that's it, it's a different story, and we may get to that when you interview me. Ah. So speaking of Banked and Sanjana, what is the relationship Sanjana has with Banked? Sanjana had originally seen Banked as a possible mark. Sanjana was absolutely just gently cruising for some money in her wallet. Sure. And just became intrigued because Banked was not initially enthralled which is not something she encounters a lot. Her personality is so big. People are either drawn in or repulsed. And yeah. Banks kind of just stayed pretty neutral. And that started a begrudging respect and then intrigue because who is this person who's not impressed by me? I need to find out more about you. So for initially it was definitely who is this mysterious uh, person? And then <clears throat> they happened to be attached to a cool thing. So <laughs> where there was money involved. So all the better. It, it's it's interesting to think that the relationship started out of anger and spite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is actually pretty funny. I'm going to steal your money. Wait, you're not going to let me do it? Hmm. You might be a friend then. <laughs> so then that's, that's an interesting question. Does, uh, does Sanjana 
have some sort of ego with her brashness. Sanjana is used to having that be her ticket to getting what she needs. Oh. So it's not so much of an ego as in that's just, that's been her trick. So when it didn't work, it was a, hello, hello, is this thing on? Is this thing on? (laughs) What am I not doing? Interesting. So Sanjana kind of like counts on people's either inherent racism or disgust towards like street urchins. Or their ability to be enraptured by what she can do because she also was the the one. So I don't know if at this point we've gone over any um, backstory, but Sanjana was with a group of street performers who robbed their their audience members. And it was her job as a child to distract the audience and and pickpocket them while they were watching the performance. So she was always, you know, quick-eyed, watching everybody and, you know, could get out of something, you know, someone caught caught her with her hands in their pocket. She could always just play it off as the cute little yeah. wild tiefling child. She, she knows <laughs> not what she does. Yeah, she definitely is very loud and brash, even when she isn't talking, being rust-colored. <laughs> exactly, loud. So does it, does Banks' inherent racism affect Sanjana? Then, if that's such a big part of her personality and her drive. She doesn't take anything personal because she didn't have very good roots. She's used to people maybe talking down on her, looking down on her because she didn't have roots. And it's just more of the same to her. So whether you make a racist comment to her or not, she's just going to take you at, at your word anyway. She's discovered that some of them, the people who treated her the best were the people who had looked down on her the most. Yeah. And at the end of the day, she's just looking to get fed, to get paid. Yeah. So she takes a lot, but she also doesn't let it bother her. It's not even that she's ignoring it. She just realizes that your words can say something, but your actions mean another. At this point, Bank has not tried to kill her. So that means more to her than anything that might come out of his mouth. Yeah, I imagine Sanja just sees right through you know, his cheap facade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all, you know, she's a player too. Yeah. It's interesting. Both of them kind of play a game, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's another thing that attracted her to him. Oh, you're you're in the game too. You know, there's a familiar thing yeah. that they might feel toward one another. You know, oh, you're not qu- quite on the up and up either. And that's who I grew up with. You know, she had a lot of siblings that weren't siblings. Interesting. You know, not biologically related to her, but just part of the street gang. Yeah, the family that choose, the logical family. Exactly. So she might see you as, you know, a long lost brother. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) So how would Sanjana feel if the party were to go to Banks' homeland or to like a gala or to something where she is suddenly out of her element and now in Banks' element rather than the other way around instead of being underground, instead of going into the city and pillaging because we're undead and whatnot, which is... Definitely more Sanjana's <laughs> banks. Uh, how would she feel if if the situation and the conflict were swapped? Well, the thing is with Sanjana, she's also master of disguise. She can hold her own in different societies. And because of that, you know, she besides the fact that she obviously she can actually change herself, she also can 
She's like rice. She takes on the flavor whoever is in the pot with her. Oh, I love, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's, she likes standing out. And the thing is, as herself, when she stands out, she likes that because she takes that as a challenge. That is not the person you would completely expect to take your wallet. And she likes that challenge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got had by the girl with the orange hair. How? <laughs> How did you miss the girl with the orange hair? And part of her spiel is that she makes sure she's known. She knew she was going to be noticed anyway. So she kind of um, beats everybody to the, the punch. Sure. You know, she's going to say, they're, they're not going to be whispering, who's that? She's going to say, this is who I am. And she makes it known. So she'll love being on the spot. She loves... You know, a bard probably would have been <laughs> a good choice. For yeah. Her. She likes being yeah. on display. Yeah. She's not hiding. Especially anything. if she was the one to cause the distraction in her backstory in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and that's just how she, that's how she rolled. Hmm. Oh, hey, this is your friendly neighborhood surly turtle, Greg. And your social media manager, DeSombro. Just cutting in for a quick shameless self-promotion to tell you to like, share, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To take part in polls or ask questions that you'd like us to answer in future Wine and Spirits episodes, or just to enjoy some spicy memes. To find all our handles in one convenient place, you can visit us on our website at rfedpod.com. If you like our show, sharing the show with your friends or leaving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice will really help us grow and reach more people. And if you have a project or a business you'd like to promote on the show, reach out to us at rfedpod at gmail.com. Now we've reached the last question, the end question with Tommy's tea time. I know it is sad that it is coming to an end. However, this is kind of a big question and I leave it for last. If your character suddenly died or reached its literary end, what would be your backup character idea? What role do you think the new character would take like a tank or a healer or like DPS crowd control, diplomacy, utility? Like what do you think? Well, I think I would like to play a druid. Even though we already have a druid on the team. Okay, cool. I think I'd like to play a druid, but I think I'd like to play an evil druid. Ooh, okay. Because we already have someone to balance that. And I think I would like to play one that might not necessarily serve the the party's best interest. Oh, okay. (laughs) To be a little bit counterproductive and just because without Sanjana there, you're going to miss, you're going to lose some mischievousness. What every party needs is somebody who's going to be a little bit mischievous. But you don't want to do the rogue again. Sure, yeah. Or if you did have to play another rogue, what different direction would that new rogue take? Because there's so many different subclasses, right? I think that what would be fun is an assassin. Considering, um, considering what this party, how the, it seems that, I don't know, I, you can't trust Scott, but it seems to be going down a very uh, dark road, yeah. and it would be nice to have somebody who was like a, just a sharpshooter that stays in the shadows, does all the stuff that you would expect Sanjana to have done, 
but is actually just lurking in the shadows and a little bit mysterious. Yeah. So that would, might be fun to just play like an assassin. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I personally would go either ranger. Of course, rangers are awful in 5e, but it seems that we are... <laughs> I played one and could do nothing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it seems that we either are underground or we are in the forest and... Scott's going to hear this, and he's going to be like, oh, let me put you in a new biome. Editor's note, yep. But, I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, it would make sense that if we're in the wild a lot, and it would be fun to have somebody kind of lead the way. You know what I mean? So I would personally mm-hmm. do either that, or I think that I would go, like, wizard for full, full oh. arcane utility. You know what I mean? Like a, like a glass cannon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You can cast all sorts of things. But you know what? Druid has my favorite, 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 favorite spell. Ooh, what's your favorite spell? <laughs> Moonbeam! <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I played Tomb of Annihilation, and I decided to play an Aracrocra. And I didn't realize that my con would be so low. So basically, she was um, frail as a feather. <laughs> and oh, the party would just go around her because her little little tiny bird bones could not take anything and then a thing happened let's just leave it at that no spoilers for tomb of annihilation sure. but i was finally able to as a druid aracroca actually cast moonbeam and it was so useful in so many settings and it was very useful in the forest. It was very useful when we were indoors, too. As long as you told everyone to get out of the way. Sure. That was my favorite thing. And I started saying, you know, I really want this in real life. Like, I'd love to cast Moonbeam on people who annoy me. So watch out. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Guards at uh, higher levels, they get something called Magical Secrets. And if you play a College of Lore Bard, they get even more Magical Secrets. Oh. You can play a Bard who uses Moonbeam. <laughs> Which is quite exciting. Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah. And I could sing to you. I play it like on my little flute there and just watch you burn. I'm telling you, I love that thing. Watch out, people. It would be funny if, <laughs> God forbid, all of our characters die for us to just all go bard. <laughs> <laughs> we just start a band. We just start a band. It goes from like, from like <laughs> creepy, undead, eat his eye, daddy bones. That's my impersonation, Necromancer. It's like <laughs> to like a traveling skeletal band. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, with, with a trumpet that goes them bones, them bones, them them bones, them bones. And here's the thing: with magical secrets, I could cast Eldritch Blast. Still, you could cast Moonbeam. <laughs> I, I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of druid spells other than Moonbeam that that Jin, aka Bambi, could cast as well. Oh yeah. Oh man. Thorn Whip. Oh. Oh man. It's a nice little cantrip. It is nice. It is nice. It's a little. Uh, it's it's not as powerful as like primal savagery, but you know, it's uh, it's it's flavorful. Uh, poison spray. These are the only things that that druid character that I had could do. Like, that was it. It was like, poison spray, thorn whip, moonbeam, please don't touch me. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> really? Because poison spray is like 10 feet. You have to be within 10 feet to cast it. Well, yeah. So she would like run up. Well, luckily, flying creature. Sure. So even though I couldn't, I couldn't switch as a druid, it didn't matter because my natural form 
had and the thing was my calm was really low but my my um strength was really high so it was a funny thing we're like yeah she picks you up with these spindly little arms but she can carry the barbarian you know orc across across the river but please don't look at her because she'll crumble oh god uh, at least once a session i was i was down yeah and someone had to heal me Man. because i mean that's just what happens but, I mean, it was two of Annihilation, so it was kind of expected. Sure, sure. So that's all the questions that I have. Uh, it was quite a pleasure interviewing you. Thank you. Thank you. You are really colorful to interview. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. Oh, cool, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the audience, the listeners hearing us, uh, had a lot of fun. And to all the people at home, we will catch you later. And don't forget to um, continue watching all of the new uh, sessions that come out. And we'll see you another time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rocks Fall, Everyone Dies. It would really help us if you subscribed, shared, and left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is by Taylor Calise, and our thumbnail art is by John Bliss. You can find more of his work on Twitter at John Blissart, that's at J-O-N-B-L-I-S-S-A-R-T. Our episodes are produced by me and co-edited by our resident Mushroom Jin. Our social media manager is our favorite surly turtle, DeSombra. Find more about our various social medias by visiting our website, rfedpod.com. <laughs>